had someone repeat things to you so many times you start getting frustrated? Well, normally there's a reason that someone repeats something to you that many times. There's a reason uh, that my wife says things to me multiple times. The reason she says that is I forget them multiple times. I was talking to a doctor recently, and I have some issues with forgetfulness and things like that. And so this doctor who specializes in that was talking to me, and she said, Bill, we've got an appointment set up for next Thursday at 12 o'clock. I said, I got it. She goes, do you have a pen? Now, I'm talking to her on the phone. And she said, do you have a pen and paper, and you're going to write this down? I said, I got it. She goes, no, really, do you have a pen and paper that you're going to write this down? I was so offended that she would do that. But the reason was she knew me and knew that I wasn't going to remember it. Paul is repeating these things because we don't remember them. I said before, we are all recovering legalists. We could walk in every single week and say, hi, my name is Bill. I'm a recovering Pharisee. And you would say, hi, Bill. And you'd welcome me because every week we come back together and what we're having to deprogram in our minds is a, a, a set way of thinking. And that is, I can earn my way. I can make my way. I can do things to advance my cause, be it a cause in the private sector, in my life, in my world, be it in school or in spiritual things. All of us have that almost as a default switch. When Adam and Eve sinned, it kicked into that sense of we are going to try to earn our way back into the kingdom. We wrestle with it. And Paul says, I'm going to continue to address that issue. That core central issue with the gospel. And we've talked about it in various numbers of ways. Most of us... We feel like this. If we do something for God, if we come to church, how many of you are expecting, because you've come to church today, you've given up your time, uh, you're staying here through this whole thing, that God's going to bless you? Well, you probably wouldn't verbalize that, but if so you get a speeding ticket on the way home, or if you blow out a tire on the way home, I have a, I have a suspicion that you would probably have a thought like this, really, God, I'm just coming from church. What you're really saying to him is, God, my going to church at least earned me no flat tires on the way home. It at least earned me the freedom to speed just a little bit and not get pulled over. Really, God? When you throw in that sort of really, God, what you're saying is you're exposing your heart, which is a legal heart, which is saying, God, I've earned your favor enough. Because if you've earned God's favor, here's the great thing about moralism. Here's the great thing about trying to have a works-based righteousness. You can then tell God he can't ask of you any more than you've added into the equation. That's why so many people want to stay there. Because if you add something in and God only adds a portion in and doesn't do it all, then you can basically say, God, you're asking too much. I'm not willing to go that far because you're pushing past your quotient. But if God has done it all, and we owe him all, then there is absolutely nothing God can't ask of us. And our response has to be, okay. Not why. Think about it. If Jesus is who he says that he is, and God is who he says that he is, and he's done what he says that he's done in the gospel... And he comes to you and he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to cut your hand off. 
The only reasonable response at that point would be what? How far up? Most of you are going, Bill, that's craziness. Well, it is a crazy illustration to try to push a point. Because you don't get to barter with God. You don't get to say, but God, that's my good hand. Why would you want to take away my perfectly good hand? God, why would you want to do this? God, this doesn't seem to work in my equation with you. In my contract that I've created with you, I get to live life with both hands. I get to live life with a full bank account. I get to live life with no cancer. I get to live life however I've determined to set life. So God, you and me, we've got to have this understanding. And when you start to mess with it, God, I don't like that. Paul's beginning to expose that more and more in our hearts when we start to wrestle with this idea of the gospel. And the gospel is simply stated this way. Cheer up. You're worse than you want to think that you are. Okay? Just chew on that one for a second. Just let that sink in. You're worse than you want to think you are. Here's the second part of the gospel. Cheer up. You're more loved in Christ than you ever dared dream or imagine. Simultaneously. Do you see that? We're constantly, we're just ruined. We're ruined. But yet Christ comes and saves us and makes us perfect. We continue to mess up. How many of you guys were thinking about taking a cookie? I know I was. I was sort of hoping he'd leave them up here. You know? And I hear the echoes of my mom and all others in my life. Don't eat that cookie before you're going to spoil your meal. Oh, come on. I can set my own rules here. I can take care of that. My heart was already running towards doing something wrong. All because of a silly plate of cookies. Thank you, Garrett. You caused me to sin uh, on that. The reality is every part of me wanted to go there. But the beauty of the gospel is this. God said, Bill, I've already forgiven you for that. And I can change your wants and desires because I change who you are. I can change everything about you. And so we come to this great gospel, and we're picking up in chapter 2, verse 15, and we're going to move down. And um, the beauty of me setting up the uh, sermon series is this is now going to be a two-part sermon. Uh, There's no way I'm going to get through everything today, and so I don't want to have to go, all right, and read the rest on your own. So basically, we're going to look at this this morning, and we're going to touch on a couple of things. One, the heart of the gospel, and two, we're going to look at the enemies of the gospel, And then next week, we're going to pick up on looking really at the effect of the gospel of who we are in Christ uh, when this thing takes place. So if you've got your Bibles, flip over to Galatians chapter 2, looking at verse 15. This is God's word. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. First thing on there is look at the heart of the gospel. 
You'll notice a word that Paul repeats three times in verse 16. And the word is justified. He's saying a person isn't justified this way. There's not a person isn't justified this way, but a person is justified this way. Do you think Paul's trying to stress a point in verse 16? An important word choice that he has there? The word justified. Do you know what justified means? If someone came up to you and says, well, you're a Christian and at the heart of Christianity is justification. Would you be able to explain that to me? Could you? I hope, folks. I'm getting a lot of blank stares. Um, We need to be able to understand these things. And Paul is saying justification is, this is sort of as one uh, writer put it, this is the Magna Carta of the gospel right here. Paul is saying it's justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that one is saved. Works have nothing to do with it. He says it, and then he says it again, and he says it again. And so he's coming, and he's saying justification. We've talked about this before, but remember it this way. If you are justified, a simple way is what? That it's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified? Makes sense? Just as if I'd never sinned? That Jesus looks at you and God looks at you because of the work of Jesus and says, now what I'm doing in this justification is it's a legal word and I'm making a legal transaction here. I am declaring as the judge of the universe, as the God of all gods, seated here, I am the one who is now declaring you to be righteous. You're now righteous. God's made that declaration. And your response may be, but God, I I don't feel righteous. I still mess up. I'm determining and declaring that you're righteous. But God, all I've done is I keep messing up. God, look at my track record. It's a track record of messing up. He said, you see, I'm giving you another track record. We talked about this exchange that takes place. We looked at the notebooks a number of weeks back. Of Basically, what he's saying is he's taking the perfect righteousness of Christ. Did Christ ever mess up? Did he mess up when he was two? Did he ever eat a cookie that his mom and dad told him not to eat? No. Says he was tempted in every way just like us. He was tempted. He had a little buddy that came over and said, Hey, how about we eat one of those cookies, maybe? Did Jesus eat the cookie? No, he didn't. Every bit of his life was perfection. And that perfection is now given to you. It is the big theological word, it's imputed. To you. It is put in. It is poured into you. Uh, Martin Luther said it's an alien righteousness. It's foreign and alien to us, but it comes in and it now becomes my righteousness. And guess what it says that now, guess what we are? We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when God looks at you, guess what he sees in you because of his declaration that you are now justified? Guess who he sees? His son. He doesn't see, did anybody mess up this morning? Wow, that's it? We can get along. We can get along. Anybody mess up this morning? Anybody mess up yesterday? Maybe we'll get a better showing. Some of you guys are really good. If you're sitting next to a person who didn't raise their hand, you need to move. Uh, And we all mess up. We all fail. We fail even our own standards, much less God's standards. Well, what do we do? with that messing up. Normally it makes us think God doesn't like me. God's not going to bless me today. But God doesn't look at those mess ups in the same way we do. He looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Christ. You have been declared legally righteous. Your debt that you carry around, it's been paid in full. 
There's a difference if you're in uh, finance, the difference between forgiving a debt and, and paying a debt out, isn't there? Forgiving a debt is simply saying, okay, you don't have to pay us back. But to have a debt paid means someone has to pay it. That debt has to be satisfied. Jesus is coming and saying, God isn't saying, I'm just not going to be concerned about your past, or concerned about your sinfulness, concerned about your failings, concerned about that. I'm deeply concerned about them. I'm so concerned about them that I'm sending my son and he's going to pay your debt for you. How many of you all like to have people just pay your debts for you? Have you just bless you with uh, gifts and stuff like that? Oh, you, you say you do, but you know you get all antsy about it. Because when someone gives you a great gift, what's the first thing you're thinking in your mind? Crud. i got to give them something back now. Or a person, you're at a meal and someone pays for your meal and you find out who it is. Guess what? Now all of a sudden, guess what you feel? Obligated to them. I don't even like that person. Now i got to be nice to them? Golly. We don't like that people bless us. We try to pay it back. We try to earn it back to them by giving them, one-upping them. All of life is junior high, isn't it? (laughs) Haven't you been with somebody in junior high? You've been around junior high kids? Well, you know, I caught a fish today. Well, I caught two fish yesterday. Oh, well, my daddy caught five fish. Well, my daddy owns all the fish. (laughs) You know, we're still like that. You did, I listened, and I do it too. You listen and you go, but, well, Jesus says, yeah, but I did this, but I did this, and I did this. God is saying, and Paul is saying, you are justified, not through anything that you do. Your righteousness does not come from yourself. It is foreign to you. It's given to you as a free gift that you didn't earn and you could never merit in a million lifetimes. Just receive it. Guys, I'm one of those people who has, I love throwing parties. I love giving gifts. I I enjoy doing that. I do not enjoy being the subject of those parties or gifts. Deep down I do, but there's this wrestling in me that is just, I don't know what to do with it. God is saying, just let me celebrate you and pour out my gifts to you. The greatest gift of that being that you are declared righteous, not by anything that you've done. Paul says it over and over here. You know that a person is not justified by works of the law. He's not, but it's through faith in Jesus Christ, through those who have believed in him, Now, if you were to pick up, and we'll move quickly on this, if you were to go over to Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says it again this way, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, even that faith is a gift of God. Why? So that no one would boast. Martin Luther began the reformation of the church back in 1517 with certain solas that they began to, to come together over the years, and they said, sola scriptura, scripture alone. Sola Christo, Christ alone. Sola Fide, faith alone. Sola Gratia, grace alone. They they were saying these solas that it was only these things that we find our hope in. Nothing else, nothing else, no works. Because guess what happens? Paul says, if you added to it, look at his last uh, line there. He comes down to the end, swing down to verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul pushes us to a place we don't want to go. There are statements in the church, and I'm not 
picking on the Roman Catholic Church, there are statements out of the Roman Catholic Church uh, in recent years that said if we were to preach grace alone without works, our people wouldn't obey. There are fundamental churches that say if we don't add some obligation to people's consciences, why would they obey? Do you see what they're doing? Adding in something to the gospel and saying it's Christ plus. It's Christ and your good works. It's Christ and your church attendance. It's Christ and your quiet times. It's Christ and your tithe. It's Christ and your fidelity to your wife. It's Christ and not speeding. It's Christ and not cheating. It's Christ and. And Paul's saying if it's Christ and, then Christ died for nothing. We nullify his death. Think of it this way. If your house is on fire and I'm coming to your house and I see that you and your entire family have gotten out of the house and I come to you and I say, I'm going to go run into the house and save your family. And I run into the house and your whole family now is standing on the curb. And I run into the house and I die in the house. Would you consider me brave or stupid? You wouldn't consider it heroic. You would consider it stupidity. If Christ looked at us and said, I'm going to run to that cross and die, even though I know you can get to heaven on your own works, it wouldn't be heroism. It wouldn't be a savior. It would be stupidity. If you can work your way to heaven, Christ didn't need to come. And so this gospel rattles against us at our very core and says, folks, you can't do it on your own. You have to give up. You have to give up your trying to get to heaven. And that's hard for us. It's hard for you. Do you know why Hilton Head exists? Because people were successful. Hilton Head wouldn't exist if there wasn't success in capitalism. It wouldn't exist to the degree that it does today. If there wasn't success in a capitalistic system. And there's success in a capitalistic system. Why? Because people achieve things. You worked hard for what you got. You guys have been incredibly successful in your worlds. And now I'm coming to you and the gospel is coming to you and it's telling you this. God doesn't care about your success. He doesn't care about your gifts. He didn't look into your life and say, you've got something to add to the kingdom and you can do something to get it. He's looking into your life and he's saying, you have absolutely nothing. I'm going to do everything for you. Will you let me do it for you? So the question becomes this. Look again down at the end. And look at verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved who? And gave himself for me. Martin Luther said, that is the hardest or one of the hardest passages in Scripture because you have to personalize it. Jesus Christ came for whom? Me. Jesus Christ came for Bill McCutcheon and he lived his life for Bill McCutcheon and he gave his life for me because he loved me. That is incredibly difficult for us to fill in the blank. 
I'm going to give you some homework. I don't normally give homework, but here's your homework. I want you to go back to this part and ask, who is the me? Who loved me and gave himself for me? It is I, fill in the blank, Bill McCutcheon. And that is something for you to ponder, to mull over. That Jesus Christ did it for you. He came and did it for you. God set this entire plan in action for you. There's nothing in your life that nullifies that. Any of you ever done anything in the past you're ashamed of? And I am. I don't go around bragging about it. And I look in my past, and there are things in my past that are so shameful that Satan still has a field day with them. You? You think Jesus came for you? You who used to do this? You think Jesus came for you? You adulterer? You who had an abortion? You who used drugs? You who cheated on your spouse? You who did this? You who did that? You think Jesus came for you? Who do you think you are? And that voice and that recording is so loud in your heads. And it's so loud in mine. But what you've got to do is have another voice. And it's the voice of the Father who's saying this. I love you. I came because of that past. I came to redeem that past. My son died on the cross for fill in the blank right there. It's your name. And for some of you today, you've been hesitant to fill in the blank there because you don't think you have earned it or deserve it. And I'm going to tell you today, today is the day God is saying to you, you never will, you never have to, quit trying. Just believe and accept a gift from an incredibly generous Father who wants to love you. So here's my question to you today. We'll pick up with all the rest of it next week. Will you receive his gift today? Will you live as if you're the recipients of that gift? For I was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in him. I'm a totally different person because of that gift. Everything about me, that old Bill McCutcheon, it was nailed to a tree with permanent nails. And it can't come off of that tree because of Christ's completed work on my behalf. And one way to think about that past when Satan brings it back is to thank him. Say, thank you, Satan, for bringing that one back. Thank you, guilty conscience, for bringing that one back because it just makes me love my Savior more because I realize how much more he's loved me and how much more he paid a debt for me. And it's fully paid, folks. And that's good news, isn't it? It's okay every now and then say amen. Thank you know. Good visitor had to say amen. Come on, folks. But... Um, And it's okay to clap, too, every now and then in church. We'll work on that, you know, sort of that Presbyterian sort of, maybe, no, better not, kind of thing. And, you know, I get it. The Presbyterian hallelujahs, mmm. Mmm. But we want to free up a little bit and just let the Spirit move in, in, in us. And here is what God, again, is saying to you today. Christ came for you. Not just for the person seated next to you, but for the person in your chair. Will you receive him today? Will you? Let's pray. 
God, why is it so hard for us to just receive a gift from you? Why do we feel that we owe you something back? Or why do we feel that we've got to clean up a little bit before we can can get it? Maybe it's just old, well-intended messages from childhood of putting on our Sunday best so that we can please God. Getting ourselves cleaned up in certain ways for guests who come to the house. Thinking that you better be nice and not naughty or you don't get anything at Christmas. God, whatever those well-intended statements were, they've messed us up. And so we think that we somehow have to earn your favor. And so God, I pray today that we'd hear this from you. I sent my son for you. Receive him. Just receive him. And live like you just got a great gift. So Lord, we thank you for the gift. I pray for those who are here today wrestling with this reality, wrestling with this truth, that they would continue to wrestle with it and your spirit would be active in their lives, moving. For there are some here today who need to hear this message again and again and again because they don't believe that Christ died for them. They want to believe it. Everything in them wants to believe it, but they still don't yet believe that it was for them. Would you let them know it's for them? And would you bless them today with your presence in their heart? God, we praise you and we thank you. And we do turn our eyes to this great Savior Christ and celebrate him. Amen. Let's stand.